Now, I would like to start off today by asking everyone who can hear my voice a question. Now, understand, you will not answer this question out loud, okay? You will not write it down. You will not tell the person next to you. So I preface all that because I want you to be honest with yourself. You're going to answer it in your thoughts and in your mind. And so here's the question I want to ask you today. If you could ask for and receive anything in the whole world, what would it be? Now on the count of three, I want everyone to shout it out. No, I'm just kidding. All right? I just, no, that would be mean. That's not what I'm saying. No, not that. Right? But I want you to really think about it. If you could ask for and know that you would receive that thing that you asked for, what would it be right now? Now, I'm not going to give you my answer to that question, okay? It's a little too personal for right now. But, but, I will tell you two things about myself that I have always wanted instead, okay? I have always wanted to see a wild bear in nature. I've never seen one, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is I have always wanted to see Jimmy Fallon in person. And that's all you get to know. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Cooper Young. Now that you know a little bit about me, I'll introduce myself. Uh, I get to serve on the team here as the associate pastor, and we are truthfully uh, so glad that you are here. We are in week three, uh, uh, or sorry, week two of our new series entitled Walking in Wisdom, as we are trying to answer the question of how do I get better at life? Anyone in here want to get better at life? couple people are honest, some people are professionals, and that's a really good thing. I'm proud of you. Or you're just tired, and that's okay. But I think if we're all honest with ourselves, uh, I think if we're all honest, there's at least some aspect of life that we would like to get better at. There, there is something, there is some habit, there, there is uh, some uh, aspect to our lives that we're not super happy with, and we would like to see it improve. And so in order to do so, we are exploring and navigating our way through and becoming more familiar with these deep uh, nuggets of wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. However, here's what I think is true for most people here today and in the rest of the world. When it comes to receiving advice or instruction about what is right and what is wrong, I would argue that a lot of us have trust issues. Anyone have trust issues with the world today? Again, some people are honest, but that's okay, right? I mean, you've tried enough diets, you've tried enough workout routines, DIY projects, self-help books, 10 tips to a better marriage. You've been clickbaited, scammed, deepfaked all across the internet and straight up lied to by people who you actually had a lot of respect for to the point where now no one really knows what to believe. Isn't it so true that in today's world, it is so hard to discern and know what's real and what's fake, what's true and what's false and what's AI and what's, what is, is there really anything worth believing in? If I'm not mistaken, I would say that this is a struggle for everyone. But here's what I will say. If our lives are going to be truly transformed by this book of Proverbs, then individually we are going to have to decide for ourselves that these are in fact trustworthy. 
And so today, I want to introduce you to the author who was responsible for writing predominantly the entire book of Proverbs. We can't say the whole thing, but about 95% of it was written by a king. And his name was King Solomon. Now maybe you've heard of Solomon, but you might know us about Solomon too. Solomon had a famous dad. Okay, he had a famous dad, and his name was King David. Now, that's David and Goliath. David and Goliath, David, right? And David, he would go on to be remembered as the good king because he was so well known for being a man after God's own heart. But even while being known for something like that, David still messed some things up in some pretty big ways. What does King David do with his power? He commits adultery with one of his soldiers' wives and then has him murdered to try and cover it all up. But here's why I mention that. Because the woman he had that affair with, her name was Bathsheba. And she goes on to have a son with King David named Solomon. So then fast forward to the end of King David's life and Solomon is chosen to rule over all of Israel at just 20 years of age. And now, I also mentioned that detail because I have been in leadership at a very young age myself. Not a king by any means, but I can tell you it is not always the easiest of responsibilities. And what was so helpful to me was to actually look at this transition taking place in Scripture when I was going through it for myself and to see the way in which Solomon handles this level of authority at such a young age as well as how he was able to not just manage and not even just survive but actually thrive as a young leader. And this was no walk in the park for Solomon. Why? Because Solomon's predecessor, his dad, King David, was kind of a big deal, okay? David never lost a battle. David had ruled and reigned over Israel for the past 40 years. And he had acquired a lot of favor with both God and his people. But God also told David that he was not going to be the one to build his temple, but that that responsibility would fall on the shoulders of his son, Solomon. So Solomon, he's stepping into a tough place in leadership, and he could have walked into the role like a lot of people. Arrogant, entitled, thinking that now he's going to be an even bigger deal than his dad. And he could have just been totally bent on receiving as many riches, as much honor, as many comforts that belonged to a king. But he doesn't do that. Solomon instead steps into this newly appointed role with a different posture. Instead, Solomon is humble. Solomon is reverential. And Solomon is also wise. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you King David's final words to his successor, to his son, on his deathbed. The things that he said to Solomon last. Look at what it says here in 1 Kings 2. It says, I am about to go the way of all the earth, which is to say, clearly Solomon, that you can see I am about to die just like everything else does in this entire broken world. 
I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. In true dad fashion. Right? We get that. He goes on to say, And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And so Solomon's there and he's like, why, Dad? Why do I have to do these things? Why are these your final words to me? And David would say, it's because I know this. I've experienced what life is like when I've listened to God, and I know what life is like when I've tried to be my own God. And the best thing for your life is to walk in submission to God. Now at that point, Solomon could have said, whatever dude, super lame, party at the castle, I'll see you on the other side. Right? He could have totally disregarded everything his dad had just told him. But he doesn't do that. Instead, in chapter 3, we're told that he does this instead. It says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. Why? Why does he do that? Because Solomon was humble enough to admit that he didn't know better than his dad, who had gone before him. And so he received the instructions from his father. And then Solomon was also reverential enough. In other words, he respected, he held in high esteem, he thought highly enough of God to hold his word as the ultimate authority over his life. And then Solomon was also wise. Why was he wise? How was he wise? He was wise because he took this humility into the position that he had, and he maintained his reverence for God in every aspect of his life. And do you know what happens as a result of Solomon's humility, his reverence, and his heart of wisdom? We learn this. It says that God, the Lord, appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. God comes to Solomon, his servant, his servant King Solomon directly. He saw his humility, he saw his reverence, and he knew the wisdom that already existed in his heart. And because of those things, God asked Solomon the question that I first asked you. If you could ask for and receive anything— in the whole world, what would it be? And Solomon says something to the effect of, God, you have been so good to my father David and to me, and you even made me your servant king, even though I am just a child and have no idea what to do. But you chose me to lead the people you love, and I really want to do a good job for you, God, because I love you. And I'm just so in awe of how awesome you are. So God, would you give me a mind full of wisdom so I can discern right from wrong and glorify you with the decisions I make? And here's how God responds to an answer like that. He says this. He says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, 
since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. You want to know what I think is so amazing about King Solomon's story? I think it is awesome that one of, if not the wisest decision that Solomon ever made in life came as a 20-year-old, newly appointed king over Israel, before he was even gifted the unparalleled amount of wisdom by God. Think about it. God gave this man the ability to receive anything he asked for, anything he could have ever wanted, and he humbly asked for wisdom. And that's wise. And when God gives you a little, and he sees that you're trustworthy and that you use it to serve him with a pure heart, he is happy to entrust you with so much more. So let me ask you, based on how you answered the question in the beginning, what would God have given you? And then do you know what Solomon goes on to do? He goes on to become the wisest regular human there ever was. The most prosperous king or ruler of any kind. He was the richest person in history, and his success in every arena of life has been unmatched to this day. Take that Gates, Bezos, Zuckerberg, Musk, Buffett, unmatched. They don't even come close. He's in a whole other league. Exactly what God said he would do for him. He did it. Only the sad part of the story is that Solomon's character could not keep up with his success. In the eyes of the world, he had it all. And because he was really good at being successful in the ways of the world, the things that the world defines as success, money, power, land, people, wives, palaces, gold, livestock, influence, you name it, he had it. So he quite literally gained the whole world. And he forfeited. He lost his soul. How did he forfeit his soul? He became his own Lord. And he stopped fearing the Lord. And Solomon had to face the consequences for losing his humility, his reverence, and his wisdom before God. And at the end of Solomon's life, as he reflects on what it truly matters, on what life truly means, all of the mistakes he's made, and all of the wise ways in which he has learned to properly navigate this world in which God has created and ordered. He writes this book of Proverbs to younger versions of himself so that the generations to come after him 
would be able to enjoy life in the proper way that God designed it all to work. And last week, Pastor Mick talked about what wisdom is. And wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is skill to survive and thrive in life. And so now we get to learn from the most successful man to ever live about how to walk through this life, not by our own wisdom, not our own idea of truth or what we believe to be best, but instead by how Solomon was gifted by God to know what is best. And we do that by walking in wisdom, the wisdom that's found in the book of Proverbs. And if we do this step by step, moment to moment, decision after decision, day after day, just like the proverb a day challenge, right? If anyone's doing that, where you don't just read it, but you actually apply it to your life. What we'll see is that we will lead healthy lives where our needs are being met. And we can even take it a step further and know that we too will flourish in this life. We will experience this life to the fullest as Jesus intended us to. So, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. So if you have a Bible, you can pull it out. If you've got a phone, you can scroll there. I'll, we'll have it up here on the screen as well, but I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and, and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And if you read our proverb this morning for today, you would see that in Proverbs 9.10, it also says it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, I would like to title my message today, Wisdom Starts With Awe. Wisdom Starts With Awe. You can put the next picture up. Now everybody say, aw, aw, yeah, okay. Not that kind of awe, okay? Wisdom starts with a different kind of awe, but that's a very cute bear, right? Or, or oh, sorry, no, you go to the last one, the one before that. That's okay. Baby bear, perfect. See, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that I've always wanted to see is an actual bear in the wild. We know that, right? I've just always wanted that. They're my favorite animal. I'm a chitnango bear through and through, right? Come on, someone, go bears. Okay, there we go. Hey, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I love bears, right? And I love going to the Adirondacks. I love the Adirondacks. And so I've gone up there multiple times a year throughout my life. And have I ever seen a bear? No, which is obnoxious because everyone says they're everywhere. And I, I've never seen one. My siblings have seen bears. I've never seen a bear. I have seen a deer be fed french fries through a McDonald's drive through window in the Adirondacks. But I have never seen a bear. And it's, it's one of my great flaws in life, but that's okay. Okay? But if I can be honest with you, I actually don't really want to stumble upon a baby bear like that in the wild. Like learn how to climb a tree. Because what am I going to want to do? I'm going to want to go over to it and like pet it. Right? It's so cute. I mean, you would too. Who wouldn't? Right? Uh, but here's the thing. 
I'm actually kind of afraid of what would happen because if I go over there and try and take a, look, a closer look at this cute little baby bear, what I'm going to find is that there's probably also a mama bear, okay, waiting close by. And no one wants anything to do with that. Why? Why? Because what do mama bears do when you start messing with their cubs? How many mama bears are there in the room? There you go. What, yeah? What are you going to do if someone starts messing with your cubs? Just full revenant scene, if you know what I'm talking about. Just an absolute mauling, right? And that's what's going to happen. That's it. I can't, whatever you want to say. And, and you know this, right? No one, no one wants to come against a mama bear protecting your cubs. And so as much as I want to see a wild bear or a baby cub just out in the woods, I'm also very fearful of what would happen if I did. And let me say this. That is a healthy fear to have, okay? That is a constructive fear to have because that's the kind of fear that is going to help me survive and thrive in this world. And so when we start talking about the fear of the Lord, right, we really need to understand that this word fear in the Hebrew language is trying to communicate to us about how we're supposed to relate to God because this word for fear is different than our usual understanding of fear. Usually here at like a church, people like me, you'll hear us talk a lot about you should not fear, right? We hear this. And you actually see it in Scripture. Don't fear. 365 times, right? One for each day of the year, so every day you wake up, you don't have to fear, right? Okay. If it rhymes, it has to be true. Now, This is where the English language can get us into trouble and actually do us a disservice when we're reading Scripture. So let's try and understand it better. Uh, it doesn't translate well enough from the Hebrew. So how are we supposed to understand the difference between God telling us don't fear over 300 times in Scripture while also saying fear God over 300 times in Scripture? So here's what we need to understand. There are actually two types of fear. There is constructive fear— and there is destructive fear. Okay, that's important. A constructive fear is, I'm not going to mess with a baby bear. Okay, because in the wild, mama bear might come along and make me lunch. That's a constructive fear to have. Now, and I would give you that advice too. That's going to help you survive and thrive in the world. But, but, there are also destructive fear, okay? I could make my constructive fear a destructive fear by saying that because of, because of the fact that I'm afraid of being mauled by a mama bear, I'm just never going to go for a walk in the woods. That's not helpful, okay? That is destructive. Why is it destructive? Because the difference between constructive fear and destructive fear is constructive fear promotes wisdom in life. And destructive fear produces foolishness. It would be foolish to never go for a walk in the woods of fear that I'm going to get mauled by a bear. So when we allow ourselves to constantly dwell on destructive fears, we lose our, our sense of reason because destructive fears often manifest themselves as worrying. Worrying is not good. It will never be good. Worrying is unhealthy. Worrying is a waste of time. And so when Solomon tells us that over the course of this book, filled with over 900 proverbs, 
that by reading and applying these truths to our lives that we are going to gain wisdom, instruction, understanding, insight, prudence, right living, justice, knowledge, discretion, and guidance, and that all of this starts with fearing the Lord, we really need to understand what it means when he says that. Because if we're confused about what fearing the Lord means and what it looks like in our lives, then the rest of what we talk about isn't going to matter. Because the fear that Solomon is talking about here is the most constructive fear you can ever have. Nothing else will add more. Nothing else will make you better. Nothing else will help you to know God and fall in love with God more than properly understanding how to fear Him. So, let me first start by saying what fearing the Lord is not, okay? The fear of the Lord is not what all of you are probably picturing in your minds right now, right? From past church hurt, past church trauma, maybe you got like parent baggage, right? Because, I mean, maybe like your parents, when they used to discipline you and they were super angry and, and they would tell you that they're trying to put the fear of God in you, that could be a thing. Or sometimes when some preachers will get real fire and brimstone, they'll, they'll tell people that it's their job to strike the fear of God into their people. That's a misrepresentation of the fear of the Lord because that's destructive fear. Why? Because that's not what people are actually doing when they say they're doing that. What those people are actually doing is taking their power and their authority over people who they are responsible for. And they are using terror and terrifying imagery and acts to try and control other people's behavior. And that's not what Solomon is referring to here. He's not talking about getting struck by lightning by the old guy in the sky with the white beard. He's not talking about condemnation. He's not talking about a relationship with God where if you mess something up in life, you have to try and hide it because if people find out what you did, what would they think of you? When we get the fear of the Lord wrong, that's how we begin to see God in a way that he's not. And it's that twisted and misunderstood expression of the fear of the Lord that is the reason why so many people find it hard to understand that God is in fact all good. So then what does it mean to understand the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to stand in awe of God's wonderful, powerful, and holy love. See, this idea, the, the, the fear of the Lord, this is the theme for the entire book of Proverbs. And not only the book of Proverbs, but for all of wisdom literature in the Bible— which includes Job, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon. This kind of, of fear of the Lord, it's only possible for someone who has felt the weight of their own sin in life. It's only possible for, for someone who believes that before God, they were living in a way that was not right. And so they trusted that God had better for them. This is the kind of holy love that we see displayed on the cross by Jesus as our Savior, who is in himself the only one who was ever wiser than Solomon. Because Jesus is the wisdom of God with flesh on. He is the ultimate teacher of wisdom. And he shows us what a right fear of the Lord looks like when he dies on the cross for us. 
See, the fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord, the reverence, the humility, the wisdom from God, it all stems from our love for Him. That is what it means to truly fear the Lord. It's, it's not that we're scared of Him, of being dangerous and, and terrifying to us, but to evil. And because of that, we are so filled with awe and wonder at His holiness that we are motivated towards obedience to His command so that we too can be holy, so that we too can know Him more, so that we too can become more like Him. That's what getting the fear of the Lord right looks like. Instead of being scared of Him when we do something wrong and we try and run away and hide it, we actually run to Him knowing that we'll be held by His grace, by the finished work of the cross that Jesus accomplished for us in love. And we know that being close to God is in fact what makes us more holy. Because when our awe, our reverence, and our love for the love that God has for us causes us to willingly humble ourselves before Him so that we want to trust and obey all that He has to say, that is when we begin to not just survive in this world, but we begin to thrive. That's when we truly become wise. And we all actually know what this experience is kind of like, okay? Because we all have people, right? We don't maybe know what this is like with God all the time. Maybe right now, like, this sounds super Christian-y, very heavenly. And for one thing, it's because it is, okay? But for another thing, we all do this all the time with other people. Like, if, if there was this one person who came through the doors right now, and I told you that that person wanted to meet you, we all have a person, and I told you that they wanted to meet you right now, you would, in a moment, be the most excited you have ever been and the most nervous you've ever been in your whole life, right? Not because this person is dangerous or scary, but because there are people that we look up to so much there are people that we have so much respect for. There are people that we love so much that if we have the opportunity to be in their presence, we want to put our best foot forward. We get excited about it, but we also have this kind of nervousness about what it looks like to be around them. We would want to do whatever it took to please them, especially if we knew that they would never have us do anything that wasn't going to be for our best. And so now I can tell you about why I have always wanted to meet Jimmy Fallon in person. Okay, here we go. So here's the thing. So in high school, I don't know why. I would watch The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon every single day. Okay, I was obsessed with the guy. I loved him. All right, I loved him so much I wanted to be just like him. I started a news team at Chittenango High School with a couple of friends, and I even was going to start a Tonight Show at the high school. That got nixed, okay? That wasn't going to happen. I wrote a whole monologue. It was a whole thing, all right? So I wanted to be just like Jimmy Fallon, and I always wanted to meet him in person. And then there was this one year where I was getting married, and so my best man, he wrote to The Tonight Show to try and get tickets. And he's like, hey, my best friend, he loves Jimmy Fallon. He's getting married. Can we score some tickets? And they were like, sure, buddy. Come in April of 2020. Okay, so that wasn't great. So that never happened, okay? But, but we know, okay, that God works everything together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. It was going to be the last basketball game at the Dome before COVID shut everything down. And it was senior night for the basketball team. Which means it's senior night for all of the autos as well. <laughs> okay, if you don't know us about me, I was Otto. Now, at this game, 
at this game, they reveal who's Ben Otto because it's a big secret over the past four years. And so at this game, I am going to be at center court in the dome at halftime, and everyone's going to see my name. That's going to be a whole thing. Okay, great. Now, Adam Weitzman was supposed to bring Dwayne The Rock Johnson to sit courtside, like within 10 feet of me, and at the last second, The Rock cancels, because he'll do that, okay? And that was okay, because, because I saw that Adam Weitzman was going to bring the goat. So I'm, I'm going to meet Michael Jordan. I'm like, this is awesome. So I showered for it. I was, I was like, I was really, I wanted to make a good impression. And then I find out that it's not Michael Jordan. It's the football goat, okay? So it's Tom Brady. So Tom Brady's going to show up, and then I find out that he's bringing his best friend, Julian Edelman, which is kind of, who cares, right? No one cares. And so Tom Brady and Julian Edelman are going to be at the Syracuse game sitting courtside when I'm going to be there. Okay. Then those two, Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, were on a specific show of a certain upstate New Yorker the night before they were coming to the Syracuse game. And I'm, of course, talking about James Fallon, the host of The Tonight Show. And so he's like, I'll come with you guys. And so now Jimmy Fallon is going to be sitting at the scoring table, 10 feet from where I'm going to be standing, and this is the greatest day of my whole life, okay? I couldn't have asked for this. The way this all worked out still boggles my mind to this day. But I knew that I was going to have about 10 seconds to try and talk to Jimmy Fallon. Whew, I was, I was, it was a big day. Now, I'm coming, I'm walking out of the tunnel to half court, and I stand there. Mind you, when they announce the guys into the dome, they like announce, and now from the New England Patriots, Julian Edelman. And people were like, yeah, no one cares. Okay, and then, and then they were like, and then they were like, and now the quarterback, the greatest football player of all time, Tom Brady. And everyone's like, yeah, woo. But we're New Yorkers, right? And so we beat him twice in the Super Bowl. And so we don't super care. But when they announced third, and now the hosts of The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon, you would have thought everyone just won a new car. I mean, the place was the loudest I have ever heard it. It was crazy. People lost their minds. But with them came 24 security guards, okay? Which meant that no one was getting to these three celebrities. But I was going to get to one, okay? And so I was going to do it. And so I get out to half court, and I kind of walk up, and then I look behind me, and he's right there. And I'm like, okay, security guys. And I'm talking to myself. I'm like, just be cool. Be cool. He gets us all the time, okay? If you play, if you play your cards right, you can get a quick conversation. He'll take you to dinner. He'll mentor you. This is going to happen. Like, you, you will be the next host. And so I'm, like, ready to go. And I see the security guards, and I'm like, ah. And, like, one kind of went like this. And so I was like, now's my time. And so I kind of rushed over very hurriedly to the scores table. I don't play basketball, okay? I didn't know that at the bottom of the scores table, there's like this rounded pad thing so people don't turn their ankles. I kick that and fall head first into the face of Jimmy Fallon, okay? <laughs> we were so inches. I could have Eskimo kissed the guy. Like, it was so close. I was like, it was unbelievable. And there I am. And I was like, you're not going to say anything dumb. And then I said, hello, Jimmy Fallon. I love you so much. I'm your biggest fan. Can I get a picture? And he was like, sure. And I was like, great. And I took a selfie. And I was like, thank you so much. I love you so much. Have a great day. And I like sped away. And it was the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my whole life. It wasn't cool at all. Okay, there was no conversation to be had. But he was great. And you're like, Cooper, I don't believe you. Good thing I have the picture. Okay. <laughs> He's like, what's up with this guy? And I was like, that's what's up with this guy. But I was, I was so excited. Why? Because I just loved him so much just to be in his presence. 
meant that there was nothing that I was not willing to do just to be as close to him as possible. And that's Jimmy Fallon, folks. He's just a dude, all right? Was I in awe of him? Yes. Did it influence how I felt and behaved? Yes. Was it because he was making me do it for him? No. But because of my awe and love and reverence for this guy, I wanted to do whatever it took to be close to him. That's what it's like with God. Except we're talking about God. The God of the universe. The God who created space, time, the earth, the oceans, the mountains, the forests, animals, people. He created you. We're talking about the one who wanted so badly to be close to you that he gave his only son as a sacrifice for your sins. And he did all of that just so that he could know you in an intimate and personal relationship. In our awe, our fear, our reverence, our love for him, we get to do these things to bring us closer to him. And how do we do that? The book of Proverbs is filled with how to do that. And that's what wisdom is. But wisdom starts with awe. Being so in awe of God that all you want to do is follow him and what he says to be closer to him. The fear of the Lord is mentioned 14 times in all of scripture. We've talked about two today. I want to give you the third. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Or we could say it like this. Our fear of the Lord leads to the fullness of life. Because if you remember the first question I asked you, if you could ask for and receive anything in the whole world, what would it be? My guess is whatever that thing was that was in your mind, the reason you thought of it is because you think that is going to help you enjoy life more to the fullest. But the truth is, nothing will help you enjoy your life more than a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord. And so my encouragement to you would be first, if you don't know God, if you don't know His love, if you don't know his grace, if you don't know his mercy, if you don't know his deep desire to be in a right relationship with you, that you would reach out and that you would believe in his son Jesus as your savior, as the one who paid the price for your sins, and that you would receive that relationship with him by faith and then begin to experience those things for yourself. But if you already know those truths about God, and who he is, I would encourage you to, again, be honest with yourself about whether or not this is how you see God. And if it's not, that you would ask him to help you to. Ask God to give you more wisdom in life. Ask God to help you fall deeper in love with who he is. Ask God the same way that Solomon did, and I'm telling you, he will do it. Wisdom is a gift from God, and he wants to give it to you. Might not be right away, but over time, you will see that the fear of the Lord, the awe of God and who he is, and what he has done for you, and what he can still do for you, will lead you into enjoying the fullness of life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today.
God, thank you for these people. God, thank you that you're just so good. Lord, thank you that you have given us wisdom as a gift. God, thank you that because we are able to fear you rightly, God, that we are able to stand in awe of you as we look out at all of your creation. God, as we look out at all of the good things that you have done and still do for us. But God, as we stand in awe of what you did when you sent Jesus to the cross for us, God, let that be our motivation to live in the way that you have properly ordered and created this world to work. God, let us do it with a joyful heart. God, let it lead us into the fullness of life the way that Jesus wanted us to experience it. God, I do pray if there is anyone in this room today who doesn't know you in that way because they're not in a right relationship with you, God, that they would reach out and that they would enter into that today. By your grace, God, through their faith. You're so good, God, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I lost my iPad. That's okay. One second. I have something for you.